Now, friends, uh, just before I uh, became a senior pastor, as I was becoming a senior pastor, I had a number of advisors and good friends tell me that after the major Christmas celebrations, the things I call the high holy days, you, you know them as Christmas and Easter, that I should plan a vacation like immediately following or at least as close to the conclusion of those holidays as possible. You see, these are the times, they said, that are especially draining on a pastor and on a ministry staff. So friends, this year I made it a particular effort to heed their advice. Heather, the kids and I just came back from a week-long vacation in Bend in sunny central Oregon. Ah, it was a delight. A wonderful saint gifted us with a week uh, at their place just down the hill from Mount Bachelor. And friends, let me tell you that while this past Easter was a very wonderful time for me and my family, I'm, I was pooped. I crammed two weeks worth of work into one solid week. I think by the time the Easter egg got done, I think I had already hit 80 hours that week. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Um, but I will tell you that I was due for some much needed R&R, and so was my family. The kids wanted to see their dad's face. Now, I thought that I was due for this R&R. I, my body was telling me, and then while I was out resting, I realized that there is a group of individuals that deserve a much needed vacation, probably much more than me. Of course, you know I'm talking about our mothers, right? Now, salary.com has been compiling an annual estimate for the past 10 years of how much a mother would make if she were indeed paid for all of her hard work. And they've also calculated the average number of hours per week spent on the clock, right? We can all laugh when I do that, right? Now, according to the latest research data from 2018, The average mom spends 96 hours per week on the job taking care of other people's messes. Her salary would equal about $162,500 if she was actually paid for the value of her work. Uh, ladies, that is a $5,000 increase from last year, okay? So uh, I don't know if that, uh, that's probably beating inflation, and uh, I think 3.2% is the average wage increase so far. So moms, you're doing good. You're doing good as far as that is. But let's be candid, friends. Let's be honest and frank. Moms are never really off the clock, are they? And it's extremely difficult to quantify the exact worth of the skills and the services, the talent and the grace that she provides, right? Not just to their kids, oh no, no. Not just to the little people, but also to the men in their lives, amen? Amen. The other thing that we should recognize too are single moms who have to do the workload of two parents. And not just single moms, but what about the professional mom? who has to, for whatever reason, go and enter the workforce to help provide for the well-being and welfare of their families. Friends, moms do a hard job, and they're worth 
they're worth our love and adoration today. Amen? Now, but as I think about my mom, as I think about my mother-in-law, who has become to me my own Naomi, I feel like I'm her Boaz. Um, <laughs> and it's a joy. Uh, her and I have had conversations about that. It's, Mom, you're a joy, and I love you. Not only do I love her, I actually like her, too. Uh, and I think the sentiment is the same. Um, you can tell me if she tells you differently. Anyway, as I think about all that my mom, my mother-in-law, and my wife do for me and my family, friends, my thoughts wander onto God, and specifically the Holy Spirit, and all the things that the Holy Spirit does in my life, whether I'm aware of them or not. You see, the Holy Spirit is truly the one who never sleeps, who's never off the clock and is always at work for God's glory and mine and your greatest good. To be quite frank, we could never truly know all that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf, all the things the Holy Spirit spares us from, let alone put a price tag on it. Could you imagine the hubris if we tried to put a dollar figure on all that God has done in our lives? Like moms, if we were to attempt to make a list of all the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, friends, it would be overwhelming and quite long, would it not? I have found, though, that the things that the Holy Spirit does falls into three primary categories. And for those of you who are taking notes, the categories are these. First of all, he brings conviction. He brings conviction. Second, he brings illumination, or he provides illumination. And third, he offers empowerment. All of the things that the Holy Spirit does, I believe, can be brought into these three major categories of conviction, illumination, and empowerment. So let's spend our time together today looking at these three categories and what that means for your life. First, he brings conviction. He brings conviction. The portrait that the Bible portrays of humanity, friends, is not a pretty picture. We, if left alone to our own selves without God intervening, we are sinful to our core. Paul summarizes a number of the Psalms and a part of Ecclesiastes when he wrote to the church in Rome about our humanity. He writes it in this way, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All, that includes you and that includes me, have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Left alone, we are bad people. The prophet Isaiah spoke of humanity in this way. He says all of us, in Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean. To be unclean meant you could not be in the worshiping community. All of us have become like one who's unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now, unfortunately, the imagery in the Hebrew is much stronger than our English sensibilities will allow. Isaiah is being quite vivid and grotesque in his portrayal here, friends. Suffice to say that when we try to earn God's love, when we try to butter him up with acts of goodness, 
to try to motivate him or to manipulate him to do something in our lives. How many of you have ever tried to barter or make a deal with God? It's like tossing, tossing a grotesque rag in his face. It's like when my kids come to me when they see something disgusting and they say, Daddy, come check this out. Come look at this gross thing. No, I don't want to. And yet they still persist. It's kind of like that when we try to approach God with our good deeds to try to motivate him to do something on our behalf. Jesus, in his conversation with one of the religious leaders of Israel, who was trying to entrap him into saying something that would accuse him, this religious leader comes up to him and says, good teacher. That's how he introduces the conversation. He says, good teacher, I see that you are good. And Jesus says, you call me good. There's only one who is good, God alone. Friends, the problem, though, is not in how the Bible describes us, but it's in how we describe ourselves. I think we often see ourselves as good people. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who are in horrible relationships. They're being abused or manipulated or taken advantage of. And they say, well, so-and-so's a good person. So-and-so's a good parent. So-and-so is a good friend. Really? Good people manipulate? Good people take advantage? Good people abuse? Friends, I think we have lowered our understanding of what goodness is. And even though we may have lowered ours, God has never lowered his. His standard is a standard we will be measured by. And God's standard says, be perfect as I am perfect. How many of you want to try to get to heaven on your own goodness then? If the standard is perfection, not me, okay? Not me. There's a better, better way. Friends, because of our pitiful, sinful nature, that again, if left alone, if God did not do anything for you, on your behalf, to you, in you, with you, on you, all of those things, if God did not anything, you would never choose God. That's the story of our lives. But because of this, and because of God's great love for you and for me, he doesn't want us to stay living life in the messes we make for ourselves. So to help show us a better way to live, to show us that we actually do bad things and have badness in our hearts, if that's even a word, he sent the Holy Spirit to convict us, to convict us. Listen to what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, and it'll be on the slides for you there. He says, and when he, that is the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. That is the world, do, do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, is already a point that's already happened and will find its fulfillment sometime in the future. But notice the threefold conviction that Jesus himself is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, first, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the bad things that we do. Friends, you do not need me to convict you. That is not my job and responsibility. I tried that as a newbie youth pastor. Let me tell you, if I were to grow my beard out, you would see the gray spots, and those gray spots have names. 
okay, <laughs> of youth. Uh, you, the, I, you don't need me to convict you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He convicts you of the bad things that you do. We call that sin. And friends, God doesn't just punish us or discipline us for no good reason. He does not fly off the handle. Like any loving father should, he tells us what the standards are. He warns us of the consequences. If you do this, this will happen to you. And then he tells us when we have broken the rules by applying consequences to our lives. Friends, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the bad things that we do. He convicts us of the bad things that you are about to do as well. It's not just after you've done it, but it's before you do it. And the Holy Spirit will often, too, bring the conviction of what might happen to you should you continue in your sin. The other reason for the conviction of sin is that it points you to your need for God. If you don't need that you need to be rescued, if you don't know that you have a need to be rescued, when the rescuer comes, you'll reject him, right? And so the Holy Spirit brings conviction that we need to be rescued. Second, we are told that the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness, It's not enough simply to stop doing bad things. That's part of it. The other part of it is that you also need to live for God and do righteous things. The things that we do that are bad, we call them sins of commission. Okay, can you say commission? Thank you. Those are the things that you do that you know that you don't need me to convict you of. But there are things that the Holy Spirit tells you that you should do, and you sometimes say, oh, just be quiet. That little conviction of someone you need to help out, that little conviction of that phone call you need to make, that little conviction of that money you need to give to so-and-so or that organization or, or whatnot, you know what those things are. That's the righteousness. We, God wants to show his love through you to the rest of the world, and so he convicts you to encourage you, to prompt you to do good things. The, when we don't do those things, those are called sins of omissions or omitting to do it. Now, as a father to Judah and Olivia, I don't simply want them to not do bad things, though I don't want them to do bad things, right? I don't want them to disobey. I don't want them to hurt their siblings. I don't want them to put their lives in danger. But I also want them to do good things. I want them to be kind in their words. I want them to help others. I simply want them to do their chores. The first time I ask them, not the fifth time, right? Friends, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the things, not just that we shouldn't do, but of the things that we should do as well. And thirdly, on conviction, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the judgment to come. Now, the evil one has already been judged. His destruction is secured. For the rest of humanity, we have a choice. We have a choice to follow the giver of life or the giver of death. For those who do not choose to believe in God through Jesus Christ, At the end of their lives, they will be judged based off of where they will spend eternity. It is a judgment of destination. For those who have not put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we follow the way of Satan, we follow his pathway, and we will end up in the same place as him if we do not choose Jesus Christ. But for those of us who have said yes to Christ and put our belief and hope in him, it's not a judgment of destination, but it's a judgment of compensation. We will, you will, I will be rewarded for the good that I do on behalf of God in this life I am living now. 
That's the reason why it matters what you do on this side of eternity, friends. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of those things, to motivate us, to say no to some things, so, some earthly things, so we can say yes to some heavenly things. Friends, the Holy Spirit is given to bring conviction. But not only does the Holy Spirit bring conviction, but the second major category is that he provides illumination. While we were on vacation this past week, we had the opportunity to go to the Lava River Cave just south of Bend before you get to Sun River. Anybody ever been to that? It is the longest continuous lava tube in Oregon. It is quite amazing. At some one point, you are 80 feet underground, and it's approximately one mile in length. Now, friends, you do not have to go very far in this tube till you are completely and utterly surrounded by darkness and silence, unless you have twin four-year-olds. Now, Heather remarked on the way back at how quickly sound and light from the other visitors faded as they passed by. There, there, it was crazy. There wasn't echoes going on. You could, as they approached, you could see it, but it was, it was quick. They were gone, and it was sudden when they were upon you. Now, Heather and I thought that we had come prepared to go in this tube. Like most moms, Heather had a well-thought-out list, complete with warm clothing, flashlights, and iPhones. In our thinking, we had enough resources, enough supplies, enough light to successfully navigate the tube. Now, thankfully, probably because of wisdom given to us by the Holy Spirit, we heeded the advice of the park ranger and rented one of their high-powered LED lights. We quickly, if had we not rented one of those lights, friends, I can promise you this, we would have quickly abandoned our quest as being too dangerous and not at all enjoyable. If you ever go to the lava tube, it's worth the $5 to rent one or possibly two. Now, friends, there are some people who attempt to read God's word, the Bible, the scriptures, as we, our family, attempted to prepare to go into the lava river tube. They view it as a collection of ancient stories and myths that uneducated, low people, low-minded people just put together to somehow try to make sense of the world that they lived in. So they, they wrote these stories up that are mythological in nature. And some people, the, the educated ones, view this more as a piece of classical literature, right? Than an instruction manual for holy living. Or as God's personal letter to them. Other people, people attempt to read the Bible as a moral code or a self-help book, right? Looking for the latest nugget of wisdom to make their lives healthier, wealthier, or wiser. While the Bible contains a lot of truth about how to live a healthy wealthy, wiser life. That's not its primary purpose. And people believe that some of the Bible, with this view, is made up since it was written long ago by flawed human beings who had their own selfish agendas. A well-known person with this type of understanding of the scriptures was Thomas Jefferson, the writer of our Declaration of Independence. 
And in fact, if you go to Amazon.com, not right now, later, okay, you can actually purchase a copy of the Jefferson Bible, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. What he did is he took the Gospels, he compiled them in chronological order, and he cut out all miracles and most of the references to the supernatural because he thought they were cleverly invented stories. Now, friends, all of this comes as no surprise to God. People have been abusing the word of God ever since he first spoke it. And Paul warns us that this would happen. Listen to what he told to the Corinthian church. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. Friends, God's word is foolishness to those who have not been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. You cannot truly know or value the life-saving power of God's worth without first knowing the Holy Spirit who inspired its writing. It is foolishness to those who do not believe into God. Friends, you can spend all your time and energy trying to defend what we call the inerrancy of Scripture. I'm not even going to get into that argument with a person who does not believe in the Word of God and is not going to make a hill of beans in their life because they have not been illuminated by the Holy Spirit to the truth and the power of God's Word. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians also demonstrates to you and to me our need for the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's Word. Follow along on the screen as I read. I keep, this is Paul, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, right? Illuminated in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Friends, the Holy Spirit makes known the mysteries of God's love through his word so that we might come to saving faith and holy living in him. Friends, this just isn't a book of stories written to people who have long and died and turned to dust and to ashes the reason why this text exists today is because God wants you to know it's his personal letter to you. Now, let's be honest. Some of it's difficult to read, is it not? Because we are so distant from the original people, the original language, the original culture it was given, sometimes, friends, it is difficult to understand. But that's why God gave us his Holy Spirit, to illuminate it for us so that when we think it might not make sense, the words just jump off the page and into your heart. Friends, every time you go to read this book, you can pray a simple prayer that says, Holy Spirit, I'm about to read God's word. Will you help open my heart and my eyes to see what the Lord wants to speak to me today? Friends, you do not need to have a seminary degree. And most of us, I would say in here, with the most basic of English, can come to know God who he is and his love and how he wants you to live your life through this Bible. You don't have to know it all. Whew! Especially when you get to Leviticus and Numbers and all of those, right? 
And friends, you don't even need to know English because we have it on MP3 and podcasts. You can listen to God's word and the Holy Spirit can take what is spoken audibly and have it take root into your life. Friends, the Holy Spirit plays a continued role in revealing to you God's word for every area of your life. Can you hold my dinner reservations, please? Everybody's laughing. Everybody's laughing anyway. I don't know who you are. You'll remain innocent. That just was funny. I had to say it. I was trying. Friends, not only does the Holy Spirit bring conviction, not only does the Holy Spirit provide illumination, but the Holy Spirit also offers empowerment. And I know many of you are getting, are, are just, you're antsy to get to Mother's Day plans, or maybe you're waiting to watch the Trailblazers. Stick with me just for a few minutes. I know they start at 1230. Stick with me for a few minutes. Friends, because the Lord wants you to be successful in this life, God doesn't want you to fail, okay? He does not want you to fail. He gave you his spirit so you'd be successful. Because he gave you his spirit, he wants to empower you to live a holy life. But it is an offer that you must receive daily, okay? Every day, you have to take the Holy Spirit up on his offer to empower you to live the life that you cannot live on your own. Friends, in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. Now, as I understand this, uh, the Holy Spirit helps in numerous ways. Some of the obvious ones, he's a giver of gifts. And there's a lot of controversy on that, right? Sign gifts, are they evident for today? The miraculous gifts, are they applicable today? I say, yes, they are. They're his gifts. He does what he wants with them. But he gives us gifts. He gives you gifts. Some are raw, natural talents and abilities, but he also gives you spiritual gifts gifts. Not only does he give you gifts, but he also gives you people. Isn't that awesome? We're told that he calls them to be apostles and preachers and teachers and evangelists. All these people are there to help you navigate your life successfully in Jesus Christ. That is the reason why it is so important for us to have regular attendance in the worshiping community. We so happen to worship at Sundays at 11. All are welcome. Come be a part of us, right? Because it's through the gift of people that the Holy Spirit brings empowerment and encouragement to our lives. Not only does he help us, but he's also called the counselor. We've already seen this a number of times where James tells us that if any lacks wisdom, we should ask and the God, will, God will give it generously. And sometimes we don't know what to pray because maybe we're in grief or we're in crisis and our hearts are heavy, or maybe we're just distracted by life, right? We're chasing squirrels, going every which way. I know that's me a lot of times, right? And we're just, God, I don't know what to do. Well, we go to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit prays to the Father on our behalf. He intercedes, the scriptures tell us, on our behalf. Not only is he our helper and our counselor, but friends, he's also our comforter. He's also a comforter. I want you to follow along with me as I read one final verse for today. This is Jesus saying, he's teaching the disciples, getting them ready for his death and departure back up into heaven. He says, I will ask the Father. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you just tomorrow, just next week, just for this. No, forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's kind of illumination too, right? But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And get this, folks. This is the comfort that Jesus provides to you and to me through the sending of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The giving of the comforter is one who promises to never abandon you. Jesus says, even if you lose faith, I will not lose faith. For I cannot forsake myself. The Holy Spirit promises to never leave you alone. He promises to comfort you. To comfort you in your grief. To comfort you in your trials and in your tribulations. To comfort you during loss. To comfort you when life doesn't make sense and you don't know, God, what are you doing in my life? When you are staring down a question mark, the Holy Spirit steps in to provide comfort. Here's the question. Are you asking? Are you asking? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to, Spirit to empower you to live a holy and faithful life? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to give you the strength, to give you the gifts, to give you the people to be successful in your relationship with God and with others? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to convict you of the things that you need to give up, those things that are entangling you in bad habits and sin? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to make God's word come alive in your heart? Friends, if these things aren't happening, may I suppose it's because you're not asking. And God says, ask, and I will give it to you. Not just a little bit, but I will fill you to overflowing. Friends, this all boils down to the big idea, and this I want you to take home Write this down. Because the Holy Spirit has a purpose in your life, your life has purpose. Because the Holy Spirit has a purpose in your life, your life has purpose. Friends, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. You are called to live a holy life apart from sin and alive to God. Friends, the Holy Spirit provides illumination. You are not left to figure out life on your own. Amen? The Holy Spirit lives to make God's word known to you so that you can believe and follow Christ Jesus. And friends, the Holy Spirit offers empowerment. He gives you the things that you need to be successful in your relationship through helping, through counseling, and through comforting. Friends, the Holy Spirit is a person the Holy Spirit has presence in your life and the Holy Spirit has a purpose for you. The question is, the question is, are you building a relationship with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you did not leave us alone to figure out life. But God, you have given us of your spirit. And that Father, as long as we would get our selfishness and pride out of the way and just lean upon you and your spirit, we would find our lives a whole lot different than perhaps they are today. Father, I don't know where my friends are at in their own lives right now. 
Father, where they're wrapped up in something that is holding them down, a sin, a habit, a hang-up, a hurt, and they need conviction. They need, they need the Holy Spirit to shout, wake up. I've got something better. But Father, I pray that if that's someone today, that as they leave this place, they would hear the Spirit con- Spirit's conviction and they wouldn't ignore it or silence it him, but would respond, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And they would experience that forgiveness that washes over like a waterfall, cleansing of all unrighteousness. God, for those of us who maybe have been hearing the Holy Spirit tell us to do something, but we've kind of been wishing that voice would go away, that, Father, we wouldn't resist it, but we would say yes and lean into it. That, Father, we'd realize that you have called us to do something, That because the Holy Spirit has a purpose in our lives, our lives have purpose. And we would see what that purpose is for us within our city, within our community, our family, our world. And Father, we would not just approach the word of God, your love letter to us, carelessly or callously or relying on our own wisdom and understanding, but we would seek the Holy Spirit's illumination to make it come alive. Father, you said that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's active. It cuts bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And so God, uh, I pray that it would come alive to all those who would ask for your illumination. And Father, I pray that as we leave today to go and celebrate the women in our life, whether we call them mom or something else, but as we celebrate the women in our life who have made an impact, that we would be thankful for the gift of those people and that we would be thankful for the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts, who empowers us to display your love and your goodness and your kindness to our world. And that we would lean in on your Holy Spirit and trust your Spirit's gifting in our life. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. Thank you for comforting us when we need comfort, when our hearts are heavy. Thank you for bringing peace into our lives. May we continue to seek you in all that we do. And all God's people said, amen.